Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are a married couple, um, active LDS from Heber City, Utah, Paul and Shannon Clausen. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having Thank us. You. We appreciate it. Um, I'll give our listeners an overview of this podcast. Um, this is not an LGBTQ podcast. This is a podcast talking specifically about our culture in our church. All of us on the podcast are active LDS that believe in the doctrine of our church, Christ, and the restored nature of our gospel. But sometimes the culture makes it harder for our faithful members to feel like they fit in and belong and can contribute. And we've done 170 plus episodes, but we've not, never done an episode talking about our members of our faith that are introverts. And Shannon's an introvert, and Paul is more of an extrovert. <clears throat> and um, they've agreed to be on the podcast to talk about, for those of you that are introverts or those of you that want to better meet the needs of our introvert members, to talk about the road they walk and help them to feel fully included. Um, this good couple um, lives in, as I mentioned, in Heber City, has four children, and a couple of their children, I believe, two are introverts and two are more extroverts. So you're not only walking this road in your own marriage, but also raising children. So we visited for about 20 minutes before we started, and I got pretty tenderhearted as I listened to this couple um, with the insights they have and the things they'd like to share. And I pray that there'll be a good spirit here that I may be led to ask questions <clears throat> that draw out the story that I feel impressed that Paul and Shannon would like to share. Shannon offered a wonderful prayer before we started. Um, just a couple housekeeping things. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, we do have a newsletter. You can go to listenlearnandlove.org and look for the newsletter link, and we send out newsletters on topics to keep you updated, especially that's good for those of you that aren't on social media but would like to follow what we're doing here. And we appreciate the reviews we're getting on our podcast. That's very helpful. We believe about 8,000 are listening to an episode. And so on behalf of me and all of our listeners, thank you for listening to the podcast, but also what you're doing to share the podcast with others. But it's not a tribute to me. It's a tribute to our, our guests. They're the heroes of this podcast as they come on and vulnerably share their stories. It takes great courage and so they're the real heroes, and that's the reason people are listening. So with that, um, we'll turn the podcast over to Paul and Shannon. Shannon, since you're the introvert, I'm going to start with you, <laughs> and I'm smiling at you. Will you just introduce um, yourself to our listeners, where you grew up, and just kind of some of your interests, and then talking about then deciding to serve a mission? Okay, so I'm Shannon Clausen, and I was born and raised in Holiday, Utah. I went to, graduated from Olympus High School, and I grew up in the church. My family was an active member of the church, and uh, I never really enjoyed it, <laughs> to That's be honest. honest. That's honest. Um, I don't believe I ever had a testimony. I went because it was what I was supposed to do. And, um, as I grew into young adulthood, I really didn't want to be going anymore, but it was what I was taught I needed to do. And so I was going through this little 
struggle. And then I met my husband now, my husband, Paul. He was also going through his own journey at that time. And then, and so we sort of started this journey investigating the gospel together. And it was through that journey that I began the journey thinking, okay, I'm going to do this so that I can know that it's not true so that I can stop going to meetings. And, um, instead I found out that it was in fact true and I had to keep going to those meetings, but, um, it was through that process. I just gained a really, really unshakable testimony of Jesus Christ as my savior and, and my need for an atonement and also a really strong testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith. Um, and those two things, if, if those were true, then the church must be true and I must need to keep going. And the few spiritual experiences later, I was putting my papers in for a mission and ended up serving a mission in uh, Buenos Aires, North Argentina. And how long have you been home? Oh my goodness. So we've been married for 25 years and so I've been home for about 26, right? Okay. 26 years. What was your main name? If anybody's wondering if they know you from Olympus. Peterson. So, Shannon Peterson. Shannon Peterson from Olympus High. We went to Highland High and we were always chasing Olympus High women. I don't know why we just couldn't <laughs> be interested in the women at our own high school. Well, there's something about a different high school. I don't know. Uh, anyway, but that's a tangent. <laughs> yeah, but it was the same for us. I think I was chasing boys from Cottonwood. So <laughs> and now we live in the Cottonwood boundaries. So that's ironic. Um, thanks for being so honest with just your journey and how you felt growing up. And um, I want to bring Paul into this in a minute, but just talk about, so you had these kind of two truths you're holding on to. One is now a real strong testimony of the church but walk us back to the culture. Walk us back to just your years before you gained a testimony. Why was it hard to come to church? And why didn't it just feel like you fit in? And maybe you didn't even know that at the time, and you know it now. Yeah, that's it exactly. I didn't know it then. Um, I've always been, well, I know the term now is an introvert. I have not known that for very much of my life. Um, I just knew that I didn't enjoy being social, given the option to go to a young women activity or even just a school activity with friends or staying home and reading a book, I would prefer to stay home. And I would go to the youth program of the church and it was all built around being social and and ha happy and excited and crazy. And that was never me. And I would always be asking my, I remember always asking myself, why, what is wrong with me? Why do I not enjoy this? I should enjoy this. Like everybody else seems to enjoy it. And I never, I never knew why I didn't. And so going to classes was hard. I didn't want to be asked a question. I didn't want to have to pair off with somebody and I didn't want to go to to socials and activities all the time. It was very hard for me, and I didn't know why. Honest. Did you then think it was like a spiritual deficit or a lack of faith? Or sometimes when 
you wouldn't have the experience to sort of talk about this being an introvert and a character attribute that can be that's really pretty cool as we're going to talk about but maybe just looking at this as a deficit some way do you remember going down that road of sort of over self-analyzing yourself which is often then very detrimental to anybody i think um at that time i really had no testimony of anything religious about the church. To me, all it was, was a bunch of meetings that I had to go to where I didn't feel comfortable. There was no spiritual backing to it for me. I didn't know the scriptures. I didn't know. And I don't, and that, (laughs) I don't want that to sound horrible. Um, putting that on my parents' head because my parents were awesome. It just was the way it was. It just was, I didn't, I didn't have that knowledge. I remember even as young as the primary days, and this will date me because I, it was primary back when it was on Wednesdays and you had to go straight from school to primary and I had to wear a dress to school, Wow! which just made me so mad. I've always been a little bit of a tomboy, always athletic. And I was so mad that I had to wear this dress to school so that I could go to this church meeting that I didn't even like. So my memories as far back as I have were just not, not a spiritual place to be, just a social place to be that I didn't like or feel that I fit into. What class, just to age you, what, what is your graduating class in Olympus High? 89. I, that's, class of 89. Well, you're still 10 years younger than I am. <laughs> we're the class of 79. So when we were chasing Olympus women, you were at elementary school in that okay. dress. <laughs> Wearing that and darn we did dress. not chase elementary school women at, at high school. Thanks for just sharing the story. So it sounds like when you met Paul, you were kind of maybe considering leaving the church because it never worked for you. And and because you met Paul, you decided to really decide if this if the doctrine in the church was um, true. Yeah. He was going to some really unique private gospel, uh, I don't even know if we should call them classes, just really group study groups. And he would invite me to go and we met in church. I was, he, he came to my home ward that I had grown up in. His friends brought him there. And so, um, I, I just thought he was a little crazy how into it he was. And, and, so I just started going on this journey with him. And actually, I remember really the thing that that did it for me. We were in one of these study groups and the man leading the group asked a question and he asked it directly to me, which I've never liked. Don't single people out and ask them, put them on the spot. But he did that to me. And it was a I don't even remember what the question was, but it was related to the Savior and the atonement. And it was a question that a person raised in the church should probably know. And I didn't know. And I, that was really embarrassing to me. I was super embarrassed. And that just made me full speed ahead. I need to find out what I'm a part of. And if I'm not going to believe in it or agree with it, I want to get out. If I do, I want to, if I do agree with it and believe it, I want to know what I'm professing to be. And that that really was the turning point for me. That's good. 
Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this, but thanks for the wonderful prayer you offered before we went live. Oh, sure. Thanks. And we pray that a good spirit will continue to be here. So, Paul, um, will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Where did you grow up and your experience with the church and kind of your journey up to the point where you met Shannon? So, yeah, my name is uh, Paul Claussen. Uh, I, too, grew up near Holiday, Utah, but uh, did move away in high school and lived in California for three years. And um, my experience with the church was maybe for at most a year of my parents really giving it a go to try to be active, but then that just evaporated and... Um, we really just became kind of lost in the, the neighborhood and didn't want to be um, really identified or visited or talked to or contacted. And was that in Utah or California, Paul? That was in both. Both. That okay. was in both Utah and California. Um, a series of events happened rather rapidly when so I So if turned... I had met you in high school, you wouldn't be... You would obviously not be an active LDS. No, I would be what you would probably have called a stoner. A stoner. <laughs> a stoner. <laughs> uh, and and I, I play the drums, so I, I was... would associate music with a stoner. Yes, you would. You would, and you would do so correctly. Word of wisdom stuff. Absolutely. Okay. The whole package. You don't have to confess everything nope. you've done on this podcast, but we get the general idea. I think they'll get the gist. <laughs> Uh, so living a life apart from the gospel, uh, most assuredly. Um, a series of events happened rather rapidly when I turned 17 that had been building for quite some time. My parents uh, ran their own business. It got a little too big for them, and all of the worldly problems that sort of kind of creep in and vices and things kind of overtook them. Um, and first thing that happened was the business went bankrupt. Wow. The second thing that happened was possessions started to get repossessed. Um, and then tragically, my mother, who I did not know at the time, but now know, and we all know more about, suffered from depression and took her own life. Wow. And this was in 1983 when I was 17. And, and, uh, and then... And then the big upheaval was taking me away from my senior year of high school to move to California and all of my friends and relations that I'd known all my life. And so these were some great big changes that happened in a very condensed period of time. And um, after three years of kind of living in a cloud of smoke, both literally and figuratively, uh, I decided to move back to Utah to see if I could make a go at the music career because I had some friends in the music industry that lived in Utah. And so I came back up and about the time I was connecting with these music friends, I was also reconnecting with high school friends who were from my former stoner group who had all reverted and and served missions and they were coming back from their missions at that time and they were we were visiting and meeting regularly and they had a tremendous influence on me well the catalyst for my major change came when my dad reported to me in march of 1988 that he had 
a melanoma that had metastasized and he was dead in May. So I found out in March, he passed away in May. Wow. And this was five years after my mother passed away. So here I am at 21. With no parents. And I'm an orphan. And I was ill-prepared to meet the world. And so I, I guess, sort of kicked into survival mode and thankfully had some good supportive elements in my life and people and mentors who took me on a gospel journey. But it was I that had to start asking the questions, is there a God? Is there a life after? And those questions led me eventually after a pretty long and skeptical journey um, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, to accept the atonement of Jesus Christ, to accept the Book of Mormon as scripture, to know that Joseph Smith restored the gospel and that we have a living prophet today. And uh, I think my first experience with church culture, I felt much like Shannon did. Um, I think I remember saying something like, boy, in order to go to church, you've got to walk around the halls with a, a phony smile and a lobotomy. And this was, this was my experience with church culture. But finding what is behind those smiles is really the key. And I had some caring brethren one of whom conducted a class that he called the Underground Elders Quorum. And he <laughs> would collect guys like me who, and the only rule of the um, class, and this was a, an informal setting in his home, was that there was no question that was off limits. So here's an atmosphere for me that I could ask any question I wanted to. Well, why, why do they do this? And why, this is dumb. Why did you? Oh, and these questions were welcomed and they were talked about. Well, this developed an atmosphere where the spirit could come in and testify to me of the truth of the gospel. And once that takes hold, oh, the culture is secondary. The culture is um, actually... I find it kind of enjoyable many times. I, I'm kind of that kind of person. I like to talk to people. I like to small talk. I like to um, chit-chat, find out about people. And, um, and so it, it's not as much of a challenge for me. So, But that, that's kind of my story. We're sure glad you're in the church, Paul. <laughs> We're glad both of you are in the church. You're helping us become a better people. Paul hasn't mentioned this, but he serves as an as an elders quorum president as Heber city ward. And I would guess you're trying to create a culture where even though it's a formal elders quorum meeting every other Sunday, it's the underground elders quorum where people are asking honest questions. And I assume you're trying to generate as much of a, of a culture there in your elders quorum where any question goes and we're vulnerable and we're real and we have authentic and your wife is smiling. I'm smiling because like that is exactly what we do in my elders quorum. No question is off limits. We talk about and we share views and opinions, and it's it's very, very uplifting. And I learn more than any of those guys every time we meet. It's fabulous. Were you in the Elders Quorum presidency before the merge happened, or were you called as a new Elders Quorum president when the quorums were combined? I went through the—so I was before 
As the Elders Quorum President. As the Elders Quorum President, and then lived through the merger. So I was essentially released and then recalled, and now we meet as a collective group. And is, tell us your age, Paul. I'm 54. And would you say you're older or younger than most, or in the middle? Uh, I'm going to say that I am a couple ticks above the middle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and have the in our own elders quorum, I started. It's been it's probably a little easier for the younger elders to sort of go down the more open, vulnerable. This is my real life. I need you guys to kind of be here for me because this is my life. And the older elders, and I'm an older elder at 58. Our culture isn't quite that way. So I've noticed our own elders quorum presence doing the very best he can. He's your age, or young. He's actually younger than you. To try to, how have you bridged that in your own elders' quorum? So, or is that true where the older elders are kind of less, that comes harder for them? It's true. I'm thinking of just yesterday or just uh, last Sunday where um, I made a joke. I'm kind of a goofball up there uh, a little bit, but I'm like, we've got our veterans on the back row because all the high priests were sitting in the back row in a line and and, you know, not necessarily a smile on their face, rarely comment, one or two of them comment, um, uh, most of the young ones comment, but I'll tell you one of the blessings we have in our quorum is we have Brother Michael McLean as wow. a member of our quorum. And um, if our listeners know Michael McLean, he has made a career out of making faith-promoting music and a lot of it I used on my mission, on videos. It was the soundtrack, a lot of, of really successful missionary tools we used as media. Um, and his later journey, and he would be one to certainly have on this podcast at some point, uh, his later journey involved one of his sons uh, coming out as gay, and his... Um, first feeling of, of abandonment from God. I'm talking for nearly a decade. Yeah. I've, yeah. You've read his story. Yeah. And, and next, um, having a renaissance of faith and a, and a rebirth of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And he contributes, he is one of the high priests that contributes absolutely wonderfully to our quorum and makes bold statements and asks bold questions and makes very, very contributive, good comments. And it's very, we're very blessed to have that brother in our quorum. I have, I agree. And I, the things I've read from Michael and his son, his gay son's a Facebook friend of mine. And I see, I forgot his first name right off the top of my head, but he seems to have a great life and be doing well. And I've thought um, Brother McLean's done a good job of keeping the family circle together and being open with at times not feeling the spirit. And I think, you know, I think when we don't feel the spirit, we often look in the mirror and think, what's wrong with us? And I, I went through my own mental illness journey, even at time, part of it happened when I was a YSA bishop, and I didn't feel the spirit because I think I just didn't have the right chemicals um, that could be released to feel the spirit. It's a very real phys physiological thing. Yeah. And, and the Lord, that's the way he's designed us, I think. 
And so I think, and that's one of the things you're sharing on this podcast. So talk about um, your, I think, 24, 25, um, Paul, when you kind of reconnect with the church and Shannon's at the same time. Talk about um, you both serve missions and you're not exactly 20 and 21. Well, Shannon, talk about your decision to serve a mission. Um, and you did a little bit. Just what age were you and what was your relationship with Paul when you left on your mission? So uh, I was, well, Paul and I were just friends for two years going through this journey. Really no romantic feelings. Just, we had a lot of fun together. Let me clarify. She had deep romantic feelings for me. <laughs> no I romantic feelings whatsoever. considered her a pal. And so we were buddies and uh, going through this journey. And I <laughs> actually had very strong feelings against going on a mission my whole upbringing. I, I, as a matter of fact, I had a, a pretty serious boyfriend before Paul and he went on a mission, came home and he one night told me, Shannon, you should really go on a mission. And I unleashed on him. I got so mad. Don't tell me I need to go on a mission. Um, I was really against him. Uh, but then I go through this conversion and, and, uh, the thoughts started to enter my head and then my bishop called me in and he happened to be the father of one of my very good friends through all of my growing up from just little tiny kids. And so, you know, he knew me fairly well and I knew him fairly well. And he said, Shannon, this is not something that bishops do. And I have been fighting this because I really don't think it's even something that we're supposed to do. But I really can't shake the feeling that I needed to call you in and ask you if you've considered going on a mission. Wow. And I just instantly knew because the thought had been rolling around my head and I'd been casting it out because I'd always been so very strongly opposed to going and, and I didn't want to think that I should go. And then he, him just saying that was really all it took. It was really a miraculous little experience for me. Will you, I love that story. Will you tell our listeners, even though you made the decision to go, what, what were your biggest fears? Um, once you got the call and you were going to Argentina before you left, what were your biggest fears? Do you remember and then how those played out in your mission. I do. My biggest fear led back to my personality of being an introvert. I thought at that time that I was shy. I've since learned that shyness and introversion are not the same thing at all. But then I had been told my whole life that I was shy and I was quiet and I thought, and, and that was a, a wrong way to be. We needed to be not shy and outgoing and outspoken. That's how we needed to be. And so my biggest fear going on a mission was that I was so shy and would I be able to talk to people? And I remember getting into the mission field and having the first getting to Argentina and having the first interview with my mission president. And he asked me, what is the one thing you would love to see your mission do for you? 
And my answer was to cure my shyness. And I just look back on that now and think that's really funny. And uh, that would never be my answer now. But then that was my biggest fear. Um, how did that play out then? And do you look at being introvert um, as a Christ-like gift that helped you in your mission? Now, looking back on it, I definitely, definitely do. Because um, introverts have a real ability to connect with the the one. And um, we're... And this is a generalization, but for the most part, introverts are much more interested in creating really close, meaningful relationships with, in a one-on-one -on -one way, with probably a fewer circle of people, while extroverts are just love to be social with everybody. And so on the mission, I, even though it was difficult and missions are just hard, as we all know, who have served one, I always was able to get along with companions and really learn to find out about investigators and ask them questions I really cared about asking them. I, and I was able to not worry so much about trying to get the numbers and the stats. And I feel like being an introvert helped me. I, I didn't even know it at the time, but now looking back on it, I definitely think it got it's me really through. interesting because I, a lot of thoughts come to my mind right now, of the, but I think of effective missionaries having a personal relationship with investigators and really earning their trust because of a deep connection and authentic relationship and an ability I've always thought great missionaries are sometimes the ones that really understand the needs of the investigator, which takes a lot of listening and a lot of understanding and then can sort of bring in the, the doctrine of our church that best meets their needs, as you fully understand. What would you say to yourself if you could go back to your um, yourself as you're leaving on your mission? What would, would just kind of like you talking to all introverts out there listening, what would you say to yourself? I would say be, embrace who you are. Embrace the fact that you are quiet and that you listen and that you don't always have something to say. Embrace the fact that you seem to notice the the one person and have the ability to go to that one person and connect with them, even though you might not be able to walk into the ward activity in your mission field and be the, the life of the party. Be confident and happy in the fact that you can notice that other person there that is feeling the same way you are and you can go and make that connection with that person. That's a real gift of an introvert. And it's coming full circle to me now with an adult daughter who is so similar to me in feeling this way. And now she's going through some of these feelings and, and experiences. I wish I would have had somebody telling me that there's not something wrong with me on the 
contrary, there's something very, very right with me. And God needs both types of people. He needs the exuberant life of the party style of person. And he needs the quiet, listening, connecting type of person just as much. And that's an okay way to be. I love that. Um, I've never heard anybody talk about the difference between being introvert and shy as two different things. Just talk about that to make sure our listeners understand that. Yeah. So I have found that is such an important distinction. And in my study of extrovert and introvert, um, you can have a shy extrovert. You can have an extrovert who loves being in groups of people and is extremely fearful of uh, maybe speaking or teaching. Um, and you can have a shy introvert, but shyness is not the same as introversion. Being an introvert is that there are introverts like myself, for example, I love to teach. I really enjoy it. Um, I just don't, it's very difficult for me to walk into a relief society social, for example, where everybody is sitting on big round tables and chit chatting with each other. I would, I, it's so hard for me to have to walk in there, make my way into a group, into a conversation and small talk. And it makes me physically sick to my stomach, but I can stand up in front of a group of, adults and teach a lesson and love it. And if I was shy, I wouldn't be able to do that. So I I don't know if that makes the distinction clear, but shyness is, is something that can be experienced by an extrovert or an introvert. It doesn't define either one of those. And Paul, go ahead, jump in here. I was just going to say it's, it's an important distinction to make because, um, I think first of all, shyness, sometimes can have a a negative connotation. I think in our American culture, um, and this is something the book touches on a little bit. um, And talk about the book. Introduce the book to us. The book is called, what's the title of it? It's Quiet. Quiet. Uh, The Important of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, basically, is the subtitle. What a great subtitle. What a great subtitle. We need more politicians like that. (laughs) But we won't go down that road. We'll That's stay another focused. podcast. That's a different podcast. We're not going political on this podcast. But I think shyness can tend to have a negative connotation. And, and I think parents are, and I am guilty of this myself, why aren't you more active? Why don't you make more friends? Why don't you go to more activities? Why, why do you always just stay home and read your book in your room? And, and, um, and, I don't, I think that's a real misunderstanding and we're missing out on a very valuable aspect that is all throughout the scriptures. You know, you've got the Almas, Ammons, and Amuleks, but you've also got Philip and the Ethiopian and this one-on-one tender, beautiful teaching exchange and both are needed. Yes. And, um, Going along with that, uh, within the, we live in a, America is a very extrovert society. And then you 
put the church within that American culture, and it's even more an extrovert expectation. And I remember being told I need to come out of my shell. And I remember when my daughter was growing up, all I ever heard from teachers was, we need to get Kylie to talk more. Kylie is a really great girl, but we really need to get her to talk more. And it's just this, this thing that's expected to be the better thing. And um, wow. we all need to come together and realize that it's wonderful to have that, that quiet person that is taking everything in and just really deeply thinking about things. And it's great to have the person in class that's participating and giving a bunch of input. Um, and I think that's something that in a church culture we need to be aware of, especially with the youth and the children, to not make them feel like they've got to be something that they're not because we're at part of this social church that it's okay for that child to be quiet. And also for, you know, teachers and leaders to understand the input and the, and the things that that child or that adult can bring to the table. If they're just listened to, if they're just, ta if we take the time to get to know them, which can be a little more difficult because they're not as open but if we can take the time to get to know those kids or to get to know those teenagers or get to know those adults as the quiet person that they are, they will really be able to offer a lot of insight to whatever the topic might be instead of trying to change them to fit. You know, you said a couple of things there that I've never thought of, but I would just do, you know, you need to talk just the advice your daughter got from a teacher you need to talk more, you know, and I, I love what you're helping people understand is it's okay to be who you are and who you are is really cool. And if you just keep getting advice, that's not who you are. It just adds to your burden. We wonder why there's anxiety and stress in our world. And I sometimes try to think, well, maybe it's self-imposed because we don't let people be who they are. And then they have dissonance with sort of cultural expectation, just like you have dissonance when you come and sit in that Release Society room and see a round table and and that just isn't your thing. But you have a deep commitment to the church and a deep understanding of our doctrine, but it's just not your thing. And it create and so we need to create space using that example for everybody who they are. Tell our listeners what you do professionally. I am a USA triathlon coach and a personal trainer as well. So, just so yeah. And how long have you been working? I have always worked when my kids were little tiny and I didn't quite know what I was doing yet. I would teach piano out of the home. And um, then I got into fitness and began teaching spin classes. And then I got into the personal training end of it. And then I got into the triathlon coaching end of it. And I think that's an example to your point of you, you're not shy. And you're willing to be in front of people and teach and and communicate how people can get better through the skills you understand. And to me, that's not shy. And that's you weren't shy as a missionary in Argentina because you're willing to help people come into Christ. And I like that distinction. Um, Paul, talk about you being just about the oldest missionary that's ever served in our church. <laughs> Tell our listeners what the cutoff age is. 
and how close you were to it and why you decided to serve a mission as you're coming back into activity and and your feelings about Shannon at this time when you're leaving on your mission. Oh, that's a lot to unpack. That was like five questions That's there. okay. I'm an extrovert. I'll tackle. <laughs> um, I uh, gained a deep testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ from friends that were fundamental Christians, but primarily then putting sort of the LDS restored gospel narrative to that. And that helped me to um, really get enthusiastic about being active in the church. And when I met Shannon, she thought I was out of my mind because I would go to her family ward all three hours. And then I would wait an hour and maybe grab a bite and then go to my singles ward all three hours. Yeah, that's and she's that's like, a little you, unusual. You're going to do what? I couldn't get enough. I was absolutely um, just eating it up, and it was so fantastic. Uh, but throughout this change, there was one little thing I was holding back, and that was serving a mission. And it was easy to talk myself out of that because I was older. I was 24 years old. I'd missed the boat. Aw, shucks. Um, but <laughs> this voice inside my head would not go away. And um, every time I knelt down to say a prayer, it was a beautiful experience, but I came away feeling like I wasn't, I was still holding one thing back. And I struggled about this for a long time. And it wasn't, um, you know, we don't really have time to go into um, a lot of tender mercies that the Lord showed me. But one in particular I will mention. This was about the time of the Gulf War. Uh, had just started. And um, I would go through phases where I would have the urge to serve a mission. And then I would find a rational way out of it. And then I'd get the urge again, and then, and I was always questioning, Lord, are you creating circumstances in my life to force me on a mission? You know, and so this Gulf War situation was one of those. And we were all pretty scared about what the outcome of that was going to be and what it might expand into. Anyways, I had somehow heard the story that the draft was going to be reinstated, and they'd start with the oldest first, being 25 years old, which was me. And I heard this news while I was out of state. I was bound in California visiting my stepmother. I was alone in the home, and I heard this. And so I'm, I'm in a place where I never am. I'm in this remote area in this random house in a pretty big state. And I turned off the television after that report, and I immediately got down and knelt on my knees. And I said, Heavenly Father are you trying to scare me into serving a mission? Because I could, I could dodge the draft by going on a mission. So I'm in mid prayer on my knees. The doorbell rings. I rise from prayer, walk over to the door, open the door. There are two LDS missionaries at the door in Los Altos, California. Well, they must've just thought, I don't know what they saw, but I know they saw a gaping mouth and eyes as wide as saucers. 
So they came in, we talked, I told the whole story to them. They didn't miss a beat. I still remembered their names, Elder Felt and Elder Kaufman. And they didn't miss a beat. They knew exactly why they were called to that house. They came in, they came back later. They showed me a video uh, that was popular at the time called Labor of Love, which is about serving a mission. And that, that pretty much sealed the deal for me. Wow. Um, that's oversimplifying my journey because I had a lot of great influences and mentors, but that's just one tender mercy that I'm not really a big miracle guy. I'm kind of, oh yeah, here in the miracles and testimony meeting, but that is one of a handful of experiences I can point to in my life that just, there is just no doubt that God lives and he knows who I am. And so, and you left at what age? I. Uh, what was your nickname in Tennessee? <laughs> I made it thirty days before the cutoff, which was twenty-six years old. And uh, my, I was affectionately known in the Tennessee Nashville Mission as the Ancient of Days. <laughs> and. Uh, I don't know if it's a term they still use, but there's the elder couples are called NQSY, um, which stands for not quite so young. I was <laughs> kind of called that too. But here's, here's the irony for me that some of the most mature and spiritually powerful brethren I've ever known were my 19 and 20-year-old companions. And I know for me, I couldn't have served a mission any earlier. I wasn't emotionally ready. I wasn't spiritually ready in so many ways. I needed the special experiences the Lord gave to me through those tragedies and difficulties to really embrace the mission and, and fully give myself to the gospel and teach others with authenticity. Yeah, it brought tears to my eyes when you paid tribute to those younger you know, seven years is a, or five or six years is a big difference between 25, 26, and 19. I mean, I'm roughly five years older than you, and that's not a big difference at 58 to 54. I think you said 54, mm -hmm. but 26 to 19 is a big difference. Big difference. Um, but for you to talk about, you know, your, your fellow missionaries that were younger and that to me is God is not a respecter to persons. We all need to learn from each other different genders, different races, different age, different life experiences, and be humble enough to learn from each other. Will you talk about your mom that died by suicide just for a minute? Where do you, do you, do you have any feelings of where she is and if she's okay and, and maybe about her mental health? I don't know if you want to go down that road at all, but I'm sure you've thought a lot about that and you've lost, just for our listeners that have lost a loved one by suicide, what would you say to bring comfort to them that's brought you comfort, or maybe it's a space where it's just really unsettled for you and you don't have a lot of comfort right now. Um, I, it's, it's unusual to think of it this way, I suppose, but I often tell people in losing my parents, I got them back for eternity. Um, had I not experienced the horror um, 
of of losing my mom unexpectedly like that and in such a such a, a shameful back at right. the time um and a sort of labeled kind of a way um it, it would not have set me my feet on the path of the journey i needed to take um and I do have now, of course, with adult hindsight and the much more we know about these afflictions that are real brain chemically related sicknesses. Yeah. Um, I, I do feel um, not as guilty as I used to that I, I could have done more for one thing, which is a good relief. Good. I feel... Um, I have had clear impressions that my mom knows what I'm doing and knows my kids and is happy. And I'm feeling the spirit right now as, as we talk about this. Um, and so I know that that's not going to come from a negative place. That's going to come from the presence of God, which I believe she is in, um, and is learning, and the and the spirit world is a great place of learning, um, and I have since obviously done the temple ordinances for my parents, standing in proxy for my dad, and and this is where it really came full circle to me. And one of my mom's sisters was proxy for her, and it was a very powerful experience. And so. Uh, which which temple ordinances for those two would have never happened had they Comes full continue circle. living. So in losing them, I gained them. Tell our listeners your mom's name and one of your favorite memories from your youth about your mom. My mom's name was Bobby. Bobby. Her, her real name was Barbara. Okay. Barbara Olson. Uh, and her... First of all, she was exquisitely beautiful. She was one of 12 children. Wow. Uh, six girls, six boys. Uh, and her sisters literally thought that the bobby pin that you use for your hair and for, for getting made up was named after her. <laughs> and she just was very particular about her beauty. But she then was also a woman who stepped outside the normal role of a woman in her time, and this was the mid-70s, and became a very high-powered executive uh, at my dad's company, which unfortunately ended up being in direct competition with her father's company. So here's this family schism that's created. Wow. And that, I think, led to some unfortunate, sad feelings and hard feelings, which I won't go into. All, I think, on my end and on their end has been forgiven and forgotten. And there's a love relationship now that's very powerful with that family. Um, but I would say one of my best memories of my mom was just how much she just loved me. I have a journal in her own writing, three actually, from years uh, 67 to 69. And she 
there's all sorts of little daily stories um, of her playing with me. And I'm a four-year-old, a three-year-old. And I was very into Batman at the time, which I still have not outgrown. And she relates one instance where I was Batman, I insisted she be Batgirl, and I kept insisting that she speaks in a high-pitched voice. And, and you I heard this story before, <laughs> Shannon? <laughs> You've heard this. So it's silly, but it's a tender memory that I have, and I just look very much forward to seeing her again, embracing her again, and telling her what an incredible inspiration she's been to me all my life, both as a mother and as a woman, and just as, as someone I love deeply. So it's very, very happy and positive. I love the way you honor her, Bobby. And I love the way you have a perspective for what happened there and, and a maturity about that and a lovingness. And so thank you for sharing and bringing honor to your mom and doing the temple work for both your mom and your dad. And um, I gave a priesthood blessing to a young man this week and I just had big tears. His father's gone. His father left when he and died of brain cancer when he was a, um, 18 months old. So he has no memory of his father, but he's done the temple work for his father as he ended up joining the church, this young man. But as I gave this young man a blessing, I just felt his father's presence on the other side of the veil. And I had big tears coming down my eyes on this young man's head. I don't know if he felt the moisture, um, but I just, the impression came to my mind is how much that father loves that son and how he wishes the veil sometimes weren't so thick. We kind of talk about it on our side and I felt that same impression from him that he wished he could communicate more to his son how much he loved him and how much he's proud of him. So I think there's a lot of people on the other side of the veil that are very proud of those of us that are here. They don't expect us to be perfect, but they, they love us and they want us to feel that love. Um, talk about, Paul, what it's like to be married to an introvert. Would you press a button and, and change your wife to be an extrovert? And, um, and, uh, <laughs> and that just what sparked like. her interest. Uh, and she... what's it like to have introvert kids? I think you've got two of four that are introvert. Yes, yes. And um, it's very humbling, I guess, would be the first word I would use to describe it. Um, I'm... I went through a phase with Shannon where we would go from ward to ward as we lived in different neighborhoods. And it wouldn't be long before kind of the same struggles would come up. And, uh, and I would be like, well, is it really every different ward? Or is it, you know, wherever you go, there you are, is what I would tell her. And, um, Thank you for not reaching across and slapping me. Shannon's smiling. <laughs> um, but And would, what would happen in each ward? Would you kind of get involved because you're an extrovert and get a calling and sort of, sort of really connect with the ward and your dear wife is not having the same experience? Not having the same experience. And, and here's one. 
do you have to stay after and talk so long to everyone? Do you have to go early? Do we have to sit in the front row, right <laughs> under the nose of the bishop? Are you campaigning <laughs> for a calling? Um, you know, in the mission, I had great leadership opportunities, and I just, I really enjoyed it and, and felt like I had a good opportunity to serve larger groups of people. And um, I kind of just took it for granted that, that that's how it is. That's what you do. And um, in recent years, and particularly as Shannon has learned more about herself, uh, I would say probably about a year ago, she said one of the most powerful things to me I think I've ever heard. And it was after, it's just been years of, of the same kinds of struggles and frustrations and, and discouragement. And especially after coming out of this low, low point where she was with our son, Adam, who had some struggles that a normal teenager would have and wasn't fitting the gospel mold either. And her conflictions about how she should be a mother and guilt and all these things. Um, coming out of the other end of that and really having a profound, deeply spiritual experience through personal prayer um, and relating this to me. And, and she said with great confidence to me, she said, I am not going to spend one more minute, minute being someone I'm not. I'm not going to li live an inauthentic life anymore. And this might be something many of your listeners, a point they get to where, where, where the bow breaks and, and they have to, in order to survive, really adopt this. And I think it's, I think it's a great, it's a born again experience. And, and what you find on the other side of that is God loves you and needs you for who you are and contribute your, your unique gifts. And so I've had to learn that. And what it takes the form of for me is scaling back visibility. I don't have to be in this meeting at this time. I don't have to be seen at this activity. There is no one with a clipboard taking a quota of how many activities I go to. I don't, I don't need to, I need to put family first. And thankfully our prophet has now proclaimed that that's the official direction of the church really always has been. He's just re-revealed it to us. And, and you asked, I think the second part of that question was with my children. I'm really deferring to Shannon and taking a lot of instruction from her about how to interact with my introvert children. My daughter, Kylie, has me wrapped around her finger. So we, we have a special relationship. But with my son, Sean, I think we both have expectations of one another, or at least we both have misunderstood interpretations of one another's expectations. 
And that's something we're working through. And that's something Shannon is helping me work through. But um, again, it's, it's a match made in heaven because she can tend to their needs and guide them and help them and offer advice for them. And I've got Adam and Lucy, our two younger children, who literally are just rock stars up there in the small town of Heber, and they go to Wasatch High School. And uh, they're both very well-liked, and Lucy is just one of the kindest. She's about as far on the extrovert spectrum as anyone I've ever seen. It's, it's difficult for her to be home with us as a family and just be with this small group and, and have intimate family time. It's a challenge for her. She'd rather be out and about with friends, with groups, doing things. And, and bless her heart, she's going to be a fabulous missionary because of that skill set that she has and her beauty and, and all of these things. And, and Kylie was the same. She was a fabulous missionary for the same reasons and for unique and special ways she touched people in the mission. And so um, just bringing back around to your question, because I talk a lot, <laughs> um, it's, it's a, an exercise in humility for, let's face it, a man in, in, in the church and the traditional roles he's expected to fill um, and, and sort of the unspoken quota that he maybe is expected to make, um, I've needed to recede from that and pull back from that and, and pay special attention and, and sacrifice some of the visibility I, I want. Maybe I, maybe I don't go up this testimony meeting and give a big dissertation. Maybe I stay back and, and sit in the back row with my wife, even though there's 15 rows of empty seats between us and the next set of people. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm okay back there and maybe I need to stop worrying about the bishop looking back and squinting and seeing me way back in the back and, and being concerned whether or not I'm happy or want to be a part of the group and um, making those things less important and making her comfort and her priorities my priorities. Um, talk about why this difference, difference between you, one being an extrovert and one being an introvert results. Cause I asked you ahead of time, the strength of your marriage and you both just said, we're in love and we have a great marriage and it's always been that way. So some would say, well, you're supposed to marry someone very much like you. Cause that would increase the likelihood of a wonderful marriage. But this is a real difference between the two of you, but it hasn't divided you in any way in your marriage and your love for each other, why are you glad you're different? Um, and does this help you as parents with your children to be different? So that's an interesting question because we've been spending the last probably two or three days very in a very serious conversation about that very thing because we have our two sons our oldest son, Sean, and our middle son, Adam, I really seem to connect with and understand Sean because of my introvert qualities and his introvert qualities. And Paul really connects with Adam 
and I have a harder time with Adam and Paul has a little bit of a harder time connecting with Sean. And we were talking about how lucky we are to have each other because we can each kind of pick up the slack and talk each other through our feelings of inadequacy or our feelings of uh, failing as a parent. We literally coach each other on on the different personality types and how to we, we have yeah. coaching sessions yeah. about it. It's really cool. And if if we weren't like this, may, maybe one of or the other of our sons would fall through the cracks because neither one of us would really just be able to know how to how to connect with them or relate with them. And so we really feel really very, very blessed and lucky to have each other and understand each other the way we do. And feel like that's part of why we were so blessed to have these particular children come our way. Uh, cause our father in heaven knew uh, who we were. And as far as our personal personality differences, um, I think uh, before we knew a lot about the dynamic, um, I would say one of the things, much like our testimonies of, well, when Shannon was speaking, her testimony of Jesus Christ kept her coming to something that was not her ideal and kept her. That was the driving force that kept her um, in the church. I think in much the same way, our understanding of the covenant we made uh, when we were married, um, I think just cemented in both of our hearts uh, that, that it's non-negotiable. This relationship is a covenant relationship between us and it's a covenant with the Lord. And we knew that and we took that very seriously. And so it was really never even on the table any other option. We work through this. And fortunately, our personalities are such, and folks, I'm telling you out there, find your buddy, marry your pal. That's what you need to do. And that, I think, is what has been a very underlying root strength of our marriage is that we're buddies, we're pals. We can interject humor into some of the most difficult conversations we can, but we're just crazy about each other and we're addicted to spending time together because we've spent time really immersing ourselves in one another's interests and it's paid very big dividends. I think that's key. We have really made an effort. We've always made a conscious effort to Put, put to make sure that we were um, joining each other in their in their interests. Uh, for me, being an introvert, I need that alone time. I need to go off and be with myself. And it's actually interesting with extroversion and introversion. Extroverts are fed their energy and dopamine receptors, if you want to get scientific, is fed by sociality. And, and the more social and the more people, the more energized they are. 
And the more time they spend alone, the more drained they get. And introverts are the opposite. The more social we have to be, the more drained we get. And we need to come off of that and have a rejuvenating period where we refill our our energy levels. And that is being alone. And so I found biking and just put me out on a bike by myself for 12 hours and I am a happy camper. And so he just thought I was crazy. But when our kids were little, he would always make sure that we made the time on Saturday morning. I got to leave and go off on these insane bike rides for five, six hours. And he handled the kids. And then when the kids were old enough, he made himself start to like biking. <laughs> and at first, it really was making himself pretend to like it. And now he, we genuinely love it. And it's just been little things like that through our whole marriage, us seeing a direction that one or the other of us is going and making the, a concerted effort to learn that thing and see if we can join each other in that thing. And I, I think that's been key. This is kind of an unexpected um, part of the podcast. I didn't see coming is just you talking about this beautiful love story and this wonderful marriage. And I'm struck with um, maybe a, that you haven't tried to pull each other to the way you are as a way to unify yourself. You have unified goals. You have the same goals to raise your kids, to you know, teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to give them the best. But you are different. Both of you are very different. And I think that that's a great strength of your marriage. And I think a mature sign of your marriage is you haven't tried to pull. Maybe you do at times, but you certainly haven't. And this this difference between being introvert and extrovert, you're honoring that in each other and you're seeing the blessings of that in each other. And I think that's a sign of maturity. I think when we see something that's different than us, we sometimes want to make everybody feel like us or see the world our way. And I think what you're doing in your marriage is beautiful. And you're, I love these couple of examples you've given where, you know, Paul gives you time to do a five, you know, a six hour bike ride and you recognize that's just what you need. Um, and that you as an introvert need alone time to fill yourself. Um, it's just so thoughtful. Um, and I know your marriage isn't perfect <laughs> and I'm sure there's some days like all of us, but it's really, and this underlying ability to communicate and talk and be open and vulnerable is a sign to me of a healthy marriage more than just a checkbox where you're all the same in everything. I'd rather have a marriage where there's differences, common goals, but a foundation based in communication and openness and trust. And it seems like that's, and your buddies. Yeah, we are buddies. And then your kids, I've, my mom made an observation about someone we really look up to, um, Roger and Sarah Boyer, some of her friends, and just that what a great marriage they have and how they have some differences, but what that's done for their own kids to, to grow and see their commitment to the church is the same and their parenting style, but they're just different personalities. And maybe one's more of an introvert as I'm thinking about it. One's more of an extrovert, but it's a marriage that I've noticed just how um, they have wonderful kids. And I've wondered if that's partly because of the differences in the parents. So that's really cool. Um, I had a question that came to mind. I wanted to read this comment. I read it a lot for LGBTQ, and this is a kind of a sister podcast to that, but fitting is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be 
in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are, it requires us to be who we are. And obviously for you, Shannon, that resonates because you've been talking about that and, and now you belong. You certainly belong to Paul and to your family and to yourself. Maybe belonging to yourself is the most important thing we can do is be, is look in the mirror and see that I belong. This is who I am and I'm glad who I am. And I'm not trying to change this, what I would now call a Christ-like characteristic that you have into something you, that's different. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Yes, I think um, so a realization that I came to, I think I've always felt for so many years that I am letting God down, not being a certain way in the church that I always thought I was supposed to be. And um, through this journey that I've been on over the past five, probably about five years, and coming to that realization and saying what Paul um, expressed earlier when I said, I'm not going to spend another day being somebody that I'm not. I felt like I finally came to an understanding that uh, God wants me to be this way. He it, it's, it's okay. This is who I am. This is, I, there's a scripture and a teaching about, um, intelligences being having existed forever and then being placed in the sphere of intelligence that they're placed in. And I really love that teaching. And I think about it all the time. We are all individuals placed in our individual spheres and we all have something to contribute being in that sphere and being who we are. And if we all try to approach the gospel the same way or approach the church culture the same way or fit in the same way. We're not being true to ourselves and we're not being true to that intelligence that we were from before we were even created. And I hope that's even making sense it does. to everybody, but I just feel that so strongly now that we all have bring to the table such unique qualities and there's no mold to fit. There's no one way to be. And we need all of these different ways to further God's work and to reach all of the people, all of his children on this world, on this earth. We need all of those distinct personalities and ways of being. And so if we can all be comfortable with who we are and accept and welcome in everybody else being comfortable who they are. It will just further the work of the Lord so much more. Um, a lot of thoughts come to my mind. One thought is that I would assume your husband has more, has had more church callings than you've had. Um, yes. And, I think so, right? And Probably. I think our <laughs> listeners would agree that both of you are equally qualified to have callings in the church and help people. So that kind of leads me to a question. What could, um, what could we, do, if I were your bishop or it, I can't be a Relief Society president, um, but if I were, if I were trying to help you feel included, what, and sometimes I might mistake, you know, I just maybe 
would pass over somebody like you. I wouldn't get to know who you are and see your contributions to the ward. I might be praying right now to have somebody that can do something and reach somebody. And I may not, unless I may not realize that you have the ability to do that. What could I, what can local leaders do to make sure that an introvert is included and valued? And, and are there specific dream callings that you have as an introvert that um, are callings you think are aligned with your Christ-like attributes? Yes, I think about that first question often. Um, and I think it's a tough one. It's a difficult one, but I, I think from the talking about how a leader, a leader in a ward can recognize the ways that an introvert member of their ward can contribute is really understanding the, that there are introverts, understanding that the person sitting on the very back row and possibly leaving a little bit early to miss the social after the church, or maybe not coming to all of the activities, but bearing a really heartfelt testimony that that person might not be, I don't know. I, I think maybe they're taken sometimes we're taken as being difficult or uh, standoffish or uninterested. Anti-social. Anti-social. Is that, that something that you wanted to? Yeah. And so just bringing an awareness of the fact that those aren't, the right titles to give to those people and that they're to, in order to get to know them, it might need to, it might require a little more effort, a little more one-on-one -on -one, or just giving them the opportunities and not typecasting them as somebody that wouldn't be interested in teaching or wouldn't be interested in, or wouldn't be excitable enough to be in the, in the youth program because they're not, bubbly enough, um, but giving them a chance and, and trying to get to know them on a more one-on-one -on -one basis rather than in a big social setting. Well, and another thing that comes to my mind is, so with introverts, uh, the church has a lot of councils and meetings, and that's a difficult place for an introvert to be, to, to go to a council meeting and be with all these people and have a topic thrown out that you need to jump on right there within this pressure. They're, they're already feeling a little bit of anxiety being in the social situation. So they might not think as clearly. So maybe if you have an introvert type personality on a, on a church council, throw out an email before the meeting and say, Great Hey, idea. this is what we're going to be talking about. Think it over on your own and bring the ideas to the table in the meeting. And then they can come having had the time that they need to really think things through because that's what introvert introverts do. They really think a lot about things and it takes them a while to think it through and come up with stuff. But when they do, they can come up with some really great insightful that's a really things. Good point. And I'm, I'm thinking back to the times we as a bishopric tried to call release society presidents and I think we would probably default to an outgoing 
personality that was engaged in class that um, back to your story about the mission that kind of was, you know, people were drawn to that person. But I think I look at the leader Christ is, um, I've been going through this in my mind, the whole podcast was Christ an introvert or an extrovert. And you'd probably have some thoughts on that. But I think there's a lot of introvert behaviors of Christ and some of his finest teaching moments were not in a big crowd, but were one-on-one and introvert-like teaching moments. So could the very person that Heavenly Father wanted me to call as a Relief Society president um, be somebody that would take me a, a fair amount of prayer and a fair amount of reflecting and getting to know the sisters in my ward, that it could be that sister on the back row that I've, I have labeled incorrectly because I never got to know her as somebody that wouldn't lead. I think your point about an introvert, you're doing this in your career, can still lead. Doesn't mean she's shy or not qualified or not competent. And I'm using introvert with she terms right now because that could be reversed. It could be the male. Uh, That's really very thoughtful. And so there's probably, we're underutilizing the introvert members of our church to help us become the body of Christ um, because we perhaps may default to callings for someone that just sort of, you know, was more like your husband. And we don't want to think your husband's not awesome. It's just culturally the way we go. And you're nodding your hair, I, head. I guess you felt that. Yes, I agree with everything you just said. I've just never thought I of it before. Felt it. And, and then if you don't have a rock solid testimony like you have and you have these feelings, you just may conclude, I don't belong here and leave. Exactly. And and I would think there's people that have left um, because they just didn't have a foundation with the kind of testimony you have. And, and if every church experience makes you feel like you don't belong culturally, not doctrinally, then it's hard to stay. Yeah. And I know a lot of people, I have talked to many introverts tend to gra- gravitate to other introverts and they, we can spot each other. And so I'll talk to a lot of people within the church and ask how their experience is going. And um, I hear I there there are things that are very difficult for so many. Like, for example, being in a class and having the instructor um, have us break off into groups and have these group discussions. I never liked those. They, I don't know if that's because I'm... <laughs> that's a really tough one for an introvert, and I know a lot of them that just get up and, and leave. They, they leave class. And you might get worried you're going to be nominated to be the spokesperson. I <laughs> hate that. That's the worst. I kind of put my head down and go, I don't want to be the spokesman. <laughs> right. I like being the spokesman. He loves it. <laughs> or, you know, oh, being I'm in a class and having to... Learning something about myself in this podcast. Having to turn to your neighbor and discuss this question with your neighbor. That... And so I know so many people who have just quit going. They'll, if they know the instructor is that type of instructor, they will not go to Sunday school anymore. And so we need to be careful of that with each other. And that's not to say there are extroverts that love that, like Paul just said. So maybe in a class setting like that, we could say, all right, let's take this topic and you can discuss it with your neighbors. Or if you would prefer to sit and think about it quietly on your own. That's great too. Give, throw out the options rather than expecting and assuming that everybody in that class is perfectly happy with chit-chatting um, about it with everybody. I like that. And I like having leaders that are introverts to 
create vision for other introverts that they belong and there's people like them that are valued and needed in the body of Christ. And another really important thing that just came to my mind is making sure that whether it's on in youth councils or in the youth program with the presidencies, making sure that all of the voices of that presidency are heard. Because if you do have an introvert youth on one of those panels or in a presidency and they offer suggestions, they will offer them very quietly and with not really very much force. They'll throw it out there once and that that's it. And if it's not heard and responded to, they won't be throwing it out there anymore and they will be hurt by that. And I've seen this happen with my daughter and with myself. Um, and so that's something for leaders, especially over the youth to really watch and take into account and hear the voices of the quiet people. What's your dream calling? Oh goodness. Uh, teaching, teaching, I love to teach. Teaching adults or or in the young women would be a lot of fun. Being in the young women would be fun. I'm terrified of primary. Don't I don't so, know why, but but you love to teach. But I do. I really love to teach because I love the gospel. I just love it so much. So I love to teach it. Well. We've got to stop these podcasts. I could go for too long because I just get talking. And so we're going to bring this podcast to a close and try to stay. We used to try to stay in an hour. Sorry about that hour. Tried to stay in an hour and 15 minutes. And now we just try to stay in an hour and a half. <laughs> Oops. Um, and I think you've all learned how to speed these up. See, I'm not really technical when I got in the podcast business, but my son-in-law says, yeah, I listen to these on speed so they hear all the content just a lot faster and that's made my made me happy that you can get through all this good content and and hopefully not in a munchkin voice though <laughs> yeah does it lower does it make your voice higher paul I speed does doesn't I it i think it, it does, does a little i think, I think it just it makes it more rapid i think technology <laughs> has taken away the helium element oh okay so so let's just have paul share some final thoughts and then shannon will leave you you can share some final thoughts and we'll wrap up my final thought would be um, just the overall scope of what you're doing in trying to listen and learn. And then that engenders love, I think. And just the, the passage of scripture, the great passage in the New Testament uh, keeps rolling around in my mind as I'm introduced to this new um, type of learning. And it is uh, Paul talking about what you've referred to several times in the podcast, which is the body of Christ. And I love his argument, and he is always over the top as a rhetorician. He's always over the top sort of explaining ridiculous extremes. And he talks about if the whole body was a leg, how would we think? If the whole body was a head, how would we walk? No, we need the arm. We need the foot. We need the leg. Each of them do a different thing. But together, we come together and we form the body of Christ. And that is what you're trying to do. And that everyone who is listening, who feels different, good, bring your difference 
We need it. We need it. I love that. That's awesome. My final thoughts are um, that quiet is strong. And I, I really love the story of the woman who touches the hem of Christ's robe. And I look at this story as I see this woman as being a quiet introvert type because she didn't want to make herself noticed. She didn't want to be noticed, but she had this tremendous faith and just knew that if she just touched his robe, she would receive what she needed. And then Christ being aware enough of the quiet person to feel that and recognize that. I just love that story because I feel that both were in tune to the quiet strength. And I think that's important for us to recognize and understand in our church culture with each other, that there is, there can be great strength with the quiet people and to be both confident in your quiet strength and then be as Christ was and notice and acknowledge the quiet faith and the quiet strength. Love that. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Paul Clausen, for joining us on an episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Thanks for, we heard a little bit about your four awesome kids. Um, if they're listening, your parents love you and you are great and have wonderful contributions. And I'm grateful for my own elders quorum president as I hear you, Paul, talk about your quorum. And my elders quorum president is Steve, and he's doing just what you're trying to do. And I'm grateful for your service. And I'm particularly grateful for you, Shannon. I've learned some things that I've never thought or learned before. And that's one of the honors for me is to have guests like you. And so I speak for all of our listeners. Thank you for who you are. And I just think Heavenly Father's made you just the way you are. And I think to our doctrine of a pre-earth life and your existence before this life, I have to think if I met you in the pre-earth life, this is who you'd be there too. And that part, and that's really awesome. And I have to wonder how many people chose Christ's plan because of you and your unique ability to reach people on a one-to-one -one basis and both of you and with your unique skills and attributes to bring people unto Christ through our church. And Thanks, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.